0: Welcome to the spawn chunks episode number 280 for monday january 15th 2024 my name is joel duggan and joining me as always is my friend johnny but you may know him better on the internet as Pixel Riffs. Hello sir.
1: Hello and we are very excited today, very delighted to be joined by Nembon from the team at Mojang working on vanilla Minecraft. We've already been chatting a little bit on the render distance as the extended version of the podcast which our patrons can hear by supporting the show over at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks. But listeners may be familiar with Nembon from almost a decade of Minecraft YouTube videos in which he unpacks Java edition game mechanics often leading to farms which many of us still use today. You can find all of those over at youtube.com slash Nembon. Before joining Mojang, he was well-known for Carpet Mod, a suite of tools which help with technical projects, benchmarking farms, and even introduce sought-after mechanics like pushable tile entities. These days, however, he's a full-time part of the Minecraft team, having joined Mojang in 2021. Nembon, welcome to the show.
2: Uh, Hello, thank you for your introduction. I couldn't put it better together. Um, You mentioned all the important bits. um... (laughs) This means that I don't need to add anything here. And actually, you actually forgot to introduce yourself. But uh, the the only thing that I will add is that it's really good to be here.
1: Thank you so much. It's really good to have you. And uh, I have Joel to introduce me. So I <laughs> I, I feel like the the introductions <laughs> kind of cascade on, on this show, which is great. Now, Joel and I have been doing this for a while. I think everybody knows who we are at this point. So uh, hopefully if they're listening to the show, and if it's your first time listening to the Spawn Chunks, of course, welcome. If you're excited to listen in to uh, what Nembon has to say today, then uh, obviously welcome on in. And we've got a bunch of other episodes, both featuring Joel and myself, other guests, even other folks from the Minecraft team. So we've got a, a catalog of stuff for everybody to deep dive if it's your first time here.
0: And as their first time here, uh, Nembon, normally when we log in, we give our guests the opportunity to log in first. So what has been new in Minecraft for you lately?
2: Yeah, so uh, at Moyang we have actually a, a small company server that we can use to play ourselves and with our families. And as you can imagine, that will be the best and the safest place to have you and your kids to play on. So I've been playing on there a, a little bit. Uh, join it to, with the intention to play quite casually but you know my, i previously uh, used to do a lot of technical stuff so i would say my approach right now is more like tech like tech casual so i basically try to figure out stuff from my memory not looking at it at like tutorials block by blocks and uh, do it all in survival without modes and anything and this actually gives a little bit different perspective to how you play. So when I joined that server, like my immediate reaction was like, what do I need first? Like, I need probably like access to shulker boxes. So imagine like with iron tools, trying to figure out how to make a shulker farm. (laughs) Um, And the design I had in mind was involved a lot of slime blocks. So uh, I first started um, to build quite a rudimentary uh, slime farm uh, put together from like using like basic tools um then build immediately then went to the end and build their a shulker farm. And this actually gives a little bit different perspective where if you follow like tutorials like they work great. But then in 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 real life if you don't have flying and things can go south, uh shulkers can get angry, you realize that those designs really do not encompass like the actual need of a survival player. Then you try to figure out Acts, like how to how to provide the good access to different like components of the farm with shokers they can get angry at the player and then everything goes to, like terribly south so you have to have like i added like mechanisms to allow to remove temporarily shockers from the farm and bring them back so if things break then you can actually go there as a survival player and and like and like uh, fix it, like adding ladders everywhere so you can easily climb from here on there. And then basically I follow this kind of like a rabbit hole of uh, of uh, technical builds. So um, once I had sugar farms, like, okay, now it will be good to build some sort of a storage system. But then you have, like like, you need a lot of iron. So I found like an abandoned iron farm that was already broken because like some villages were missing some uh, zombies that are used for bait were not there anymore so i fixed it like and then i realized oh i i, I for like now i have a, now i have an elytra and i need some rockets so built not like another farm uh to uh to basically have some uh gunpowder and other 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 mob drops as well then then realized um mm, at this at this point it would be good to have something to cover your experience so Obviously, I went through a guardian, guardian farm route. Recently, been digging out the, the the perimeter for it, basically, just the bounding box of the ocean monument, and learned a few things that I actually didn't ex- didn't expect. Like when you're building walls in survival, pe- like players typically sneak, and then you can place up to three blocks below you, and then you sneak to the next position. Uh, but if you're under underwater, you can actually sprint swim while still having this sneak like sneaking enabled and that actually allows you to not only move way faster because when you're uh, swimming underwater you're actually way faster than sneaking on land but also you have access to actually four blocks down so building those like giant wall like giant dividing walls underwater is actually way faster than above water which is interesting i didn't expect that so you learn you learn new things when you are going through the path of uh, farms, from from farm to farm, from resource to resource, and basically realizing that oh, now I have now I've built a garden farm in order to have a lot of dark prismarine. You have to have a black dye farm. So what do I do for now? Uh, for that, so it's interesting to get into these kind of relationship and growth again. So.
1: I, uh, that was fun. I want to encourage everybody to wind this podcast back five minutes to where Nembon said I joined this server to play casually and then you just <laughs> listed <laughs> list all of these farms that you're like I, I had to have this and then this I had to have that and I'm doing all of this with only iron tools and man like it's it's so cool to hear that especially people who are part of the development team now I mean you're a a fairly recent addition but obviously you were so involved with the minecraft community before this i think it's so good to hear that you are still discovering new ways to play and finding new techniques on the fly even as you are you know being part of the team that's introducing new features to the game i think that's incredible
2: yeah and and this is actually something that many people who i work with who maybe didn't have too much experience with minecraft because i don't know there might be some uh people around like uh i don't know company administration or, or things like that they don't have to be gamers uh, they often realize that the development team at moyang is very interesting because in many game studios uh, people develop games and they go back home and they play other games or they or they don't play games at all while at moyang lots of people play minecraft uh all the time either during work or after work or like we have also like did like dedicated times when you can spend actually playing the game to learn to learn it better and and yeah that's actually very interesting to see
0: when you're coming across an existing farm like an existing technical project that is older or broken as you mentioned with the iron farm do you find it more challenging to tweak it and get it working again or or is it easier for you to start fresh and just do something new on your own
2: yes actually uh, i before i would say it's probably easier to to just uh, uh, c- like create from scratch something on the on the side but in practice that's what i've been doing i like there was an old enderman farm on the server the, the like the one that uses the y y zero Enderman spawning mm-hmm. um, and it was broken it was missing the uh, endermite and i was like Things. like this is the most difficult part in building the of, <laughs> of this farm is to is, is is to is to get that mine in and it's like and i don't want to watch tutorials for it if i place it incorrectly another enderman will get to it and 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 it'll be all in vain so what i did actually is is i redesigned that farm a little bit so when you are in a safe spot that the, that that the players would typically be actually remove a bunch of blocks so you can actually aggravate endermen on your own because they're not that far away they can they can see you if you want to and this way you have a working farm that doesn't need that doesn't need an enderman just uses the player as the bait so you can just choose up to 70 because that's how many endermen are there you could just choose like look at all seventy endermen and just wait until they come in you just you just all like basically harvest them get a get xp and you can just do it in waves and the farm is technically working is maybe it's not as fast as it used to be but and this is functional and didn't require an enderm- endermite. So,
1: and uh, I think the reason that endermite is dead is because of the recent changes to mob reach. Thanks to you know mobs being able to reach anything that's within their hitbox. So, uh, you know who to blame <laughs> when it comes to that farm being broken as well, right? <laughs>
2: so, having said that, I think in this case it will be that actually the other way around, uh, because endermen used to have, no, actually they had a, actually no, their reach didn't change at all. Um, because they were endermen are what's called the standard size, which is the players, which is the player width, which is which is 0.6 blocks. So all those mobs that are quote unquote standard size zombies, uh, endermen, they all have the same reach. at At this moment of time, I think this was just because someone when putting that farm together didn't put it properly. Mm -hmm. That that's why. So if you are like following tutorials on the on the internet, typically there are multiple places where things can go wrong and uh, things can go wrong in a way that you don't even understand like if you don't understand how the farm works exactly that's where you can make mistakes that you may bite you later on down the down the line and you pro- and, and the farm may work for like 2 or 3 weeks and then it'll randomly stop and you may not know why so that's uh, why I th- I think like learning how the mechanics works and learning how the farm farm design uh, works rather than learning block by block is better because then you can uh, first of all you can make improvements if you- if you want to you can customize your builds same same as you customize uh, like aesthetic builds yeah um, so I think this is like the better way to- way to play it. Although this is also very, very, very difficult. I don't think the game does a really particularly good job to explain those mechanics to players. And that's something where uh, more improvements probably would be needed.
1: Well, it's something where community knowledge has taken up the slack for so long, I feel like. Exactly, there was a, yeah. a, th- a thread yeah. on the Minecraft Reddit that I was reading this week, which I would personally argue with this take, but they said... Minecraft does not give you enough information to complete the game on your own. And people were arguing about how, even though we have newer things like, I mean, I say newer, at this point they're quite old, but ruined nether portals teaching you what a nether portal should look like, And there are a few players who've posted YouTube Let's Plays in which they've completed Minecraft without any spoilers. They haven't been to the Minecraft wiki or looked up other people's videos to understand how to beat the game. And advancements played a huge part in that. Being able to see the proposed progression of the game through that advancement tree can be helpful, but there are some things that remain cryptic and... Back in the day, if you look at early games like Legend of Zelda, where, for a start, they would come with an instruction manual and a fold-out map that kind of told you how to do stuff, but part of the point of the game was still that you shared information with your friends and that anybody else who had the original Legend of Zelda, you'd go to their house and they'd show you this cool thing that they found by accident. And obviously now with the internet, environments like that are becoming more and more scarce, And I think game development changes to match that with the introduction of more obvious tutorials and games teaching you the mechanics that you will need to understand the game as you progress. And Minecraft stands out in being fairly hands off with its approach to teaching new players. But that is, I think, so often because the game relies on community knowledge and has done for more than a decade.
2: Yeah, this is not ideal uh, in the sense that we know, we understand that the game should. Uh, should be um should be more explicit in like uh, te- like letting players know exactly about the mechanics and and this is something that we are striving for with the new features to make sure that they are clearly un- un- understandable or maybe try to like provide uh, provide i don't know replacements like for the lack of the word for like like for example with the armadillo you can you can brush it to get skews off of it but if you don't know how to do it or if you don't know that you can use a brush on it it'll just drop the skewed run like like randomly yeah. on like from time from time to time so if you if you don't know it you can just chase those little like poor little critters and just collect the skews this way <laughs> so uh, and and there is also a value in in a discovery of certain like mechanics if you If you don't, if you are not taught, if you are not told what to do, but you discover something on your own that brings an extra joy, an extra level of joy. Uh, So it's a very fine balance between not telling players what to do and telling players too much.
1: Yeah, we will get more into the armadillo a little bit later in our main discussion. Um, but something you said earlier really resonated with me, and you were talking about uh, building stuff in survival and first of all not following tutorials but also being more reactive to things that went wrong on the fly and as somebody who obviously a lot of your tutorials are presented in creative because that's the best environment for you to uh, both show a lot of the mechanics and also not be bothered by shulkers when they're shooting at you from a shulker farm or, or something like that and it's one of the approaches I've taken in my survival guide series where I'm presenting tutorials and it's so tempting to cut to a creative world to explain the setup for the farm that I'm doing, but I've every step of the way I've told myself people need to see the amount of effort that goes into this if they're going to follow a tutorial it really helps them to understand how much time they're going to have to commit to a project of this size i mean you talked about draining the perimeter for a guardian farm and that is always a large time-consuming project and there aren't many fast ways of doing it if you want to do it to the extent where everything is drained out there's no water on the inside in the the area of the the ocean monument that's always a big project so it helps people to have their information presented to them, but not be given the fast-forwarded approach to it. Sort of be be seeing the effort every step of the way.
2: Yeah, and and uh, this is a very good example of something that you know some people may actually perceive boring. Like how many times you can drain an ocean monument? But <laughs> from my perspective, the more I do it, the like uh, is in, in survival. The more I learn. How to do it better, and that and that's also is something that brings brings me like uh, some levels of accomplishment, brings me joy essentially. Yeah, I think
0: one of the things that you mentioned about you know the farms and and scaling and trying to figure things out has been one of my favorite things about bringing some of your farm designs into the Citadel. In that we're a small server and we don't need sixty thousand drops an hour or whatever the farm happens to put out, and I really like the challenge of taking a design that I've found online and both scaling it down so that I know we can use it. And it's it's something that I can accomplish in a reasonable amount of time. It's not overkill for what we need. Uh, But then also uh, adding the decoration. You know, you talked about um, making things look nice earlier. And that's one of the things I really like about building technical things in survival. Minecraft is you're bringing it into your existing world it's not just in a void it's not just floating in space and you have to if you have the right you know the kind of mindset that i do i want to bring it into the world and integrate it both functionally but also fashionably you know into the surrounding world so when it comes to things like you know digging out an ocean monument and and learning how to do that better I, I I hear you and, and that's what I, I feel like I get out of taking a technical project and saying, okay, well, that's a really cool and efficient box, but how can I make it look nice? You know? Yeah. So when you're playing on, on the server and, and doing the technical things, have you have you started to go into the, the idea of decorating your farms and, and making them look like they are integrated into a multiplayer world?
2: I've I've always strived to essentially do that. So um on like on my uh in my videos i typically would just focus on the farm itself but whenever i played in survival i would never just take a functional box and make it so that i'm done Uh, part of this basically part of the survival concept for me it's to is to put a story behind it put a building that basically represents that story and give a little bit more meaning uh one of these things would be like the garden farm i built on the Cycraft server like 3 years ago which was like an en encased in a large la- large large like ziggurat and pyramids uh basically structure that looked like an ancient ancient civilization like the hanging uh, gardens of babylon and there were interesting challenges there for example uh, uh i wanted to incorporate water as the aesthetic aspect, but also I knew that there's, it's a guardian farm. So it shouldn't have any like streams of certain lengths because then like in certain places because guardians will start to spawn (laughs) or so. So this also, uh, even if you're working as like aesthetically around a particular technical uh, build, it's also important to also know like, what are the constraints of that technical build and try to fit the aesthetic build around it. Like if you have a hostile mob farm, you know that you, you that you cannot have any open top level surfaces for blocks because then suddenly m- mobs can spawn there. So you have to have everything like either carpeted or uh, put some blocks uh, or tops or using the or using bottom slabs, for example. But that adds an extra interesting requirement for the build.
0: I was just thinking about the hostile mob firms because I, I found that challenging myself when you want to build it out and and add some things and you're like oh man wait a minute this all has to be stairs or slabs or carpets or something to, in order exactly. to not 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 mess up all the hard work I did for for the rates. Do you do you ever do anything that's like modular so that it can be rearranged and and fit into different spaces? Like if you wanted to put something inside of a castle or a wall, that it might be better if it was long and thin or tall and skinny, that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, so I think any of the any of the crop farms uh, is something that uh, typically the unit in that crop farm is very small. It's typically a place where a crop can grow, plus maybe a piston to push it out, like push it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, if you think about like uh, a sugarcane farm or like. Uh, mm, Like uh, bamboo farms, but then how you put it together and what shape is your building—it doesn't really matter. So there's a lot of flexibility, where you can excel in like trying to squeeze all of all of that in. Another thing that I really want to get used, like get into at some point, is uh, if you think about uh, iron farms. Iron farms is now something where you have those individual cells of three villagers working together. Because three villages are required to have an iron golem spawning. But then many of the iron farms use multiple of those villages, of those village cells. And if you look at, like, a particular tutorial, they give you, like, the optimal spacing, yeah? Mm -hmm. Which means that your farm will be very geometric and, like, very, like like, rigid grid of those cells. And while it is true that this is like the minimum required distance between them, for example, it means that you can actually extend them and maybe you can build like a custom village where you have those little like houses that each house is its own like a small module of a iron farm and I had an idea of like this kind of like a like a rain like bas like a train track that goes in between those houses. And then you have iron golems spawning in each, in in each one of them, so maybe it's not an optimal uh, layout, and maybe you can make it faster, but it doesn't really matter that much. You can build like a custom houses and like, uh, not 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 really grid grid like structure, more like or more like organically mm-hmm. following the terrain for for example, but still f- still, basically satisfying all those basic requirements for an iron farm cell. That allow allow all of them to work together to form like a bigger iron iron farm and that's where like a cross between like a technical knowledge and then the uh, and then the creative uh, aesthetic builds uh, is really where it really um looks really nice one one person that definitely excels at that and we all we all know i think about it is etho etho's been always very technical player but also he's he's able to put um, a lot of purpose in, in his builds.
1: Yeah. yeah, Etho's one of those people who I always watch for an example of somebody who's still learning about the game even though he's been playing it for so long. Like, his Let's Play goes back to, you know, alpha versions of the game and so forth, but he's still... Talks in his videos about I'm learning about color theory so I can compose builds better. I'm trying different stuff with shapes and working in mechanics in an aesthetic way is such a great example of what he does. It's it's really fascinating to watch.
2: Yeah, another example I think recently it's quite interesting is the latest playthrough of Minecraft by Captain Sparkles. Captain Sparkles have recently announced that he will be leaving the mainstream of Minecraft, but he's still putting up the last. Vanilla play th- playthrough, and while he's doing that in uh, in hardcore, you can see that he's very confident in how he plays, very confident in basically do basically going through the game, even if it's in a hardcore mode where you can make a single mistake and and be gone. He he really goes through all of these aspects without anything really that that resembles anything dangerous. It actually shows how the game can be played casually, even on the highest setting. So, Johnny, what have you been up to this week in
0: Minecraft?
1: I am, to be honest, procrastinating on starting my floating island build, which is, uh, for Nemon's benefit, something I discussed in the previous episode where I've taken some concept art uh, from an artist called Greg Fromento. It's a really cool... floating island, but with a shipwreck of a large galleon built on it, and it is unclear from his art whether the ship is actually flying the island, or whether it's a ship that has crashed on the island somehow, but uh, Greg's art is always grounded in one or two natural feeling details but then with the supernatural around them there are whales flying around the mast of the ship in the air and there are just some really nice compositional elements that I loved so I'm in the process of drafting that into a build for my survival world but... I can't really commit long hours to it right now because we have some family staying over and using my room as the guest bedroom, so I can't use my office at the hours that I normally prefer to. So in the meantime, I have been streaming a little bit. I've been doing some end raiding to get a few more shulker boxes. I have also been irritated by shulkers levitating me a whole bunch. Uh, In a recent attempt at an end raid, I completely forgot to bring arrows. I think I must have just tucked arrows in a chest before I left and just, you know, removed everything from my inventory and that included any ammunition. So I had a really hard time dealing with the shulkers in those towers and had to dip back to the overworld to get uh, some, some arrows because just blocking with a shield the entire time was not working for me. But the other thing I did this week on stream was play a bit more Minecraft Bingo, which I've talked about on the show before. Uh, it now has a very useful landing page at playminecraftbingo.com, which shows the history of the game, the original Lorgon 111 map, and Noin Einser is the sort of latest successor in the series, sort of like how people carried on Skyblock and continued to develop that as a game mode. Noin sir has been working on a version which is consistently updated to the latest versions of the game and has now introduced a blind bingo card mode so you can start the game having played a few rounds, having gotten familiar with the format and the types of items you need, and the bingo card is completely blank and so what you do is you go around collecting items that you think might be on it and they'll pop up if they are on the card and those will lock in but you have to find 25 items and you don't know what any of them are at the beginning. And that's a cool game mode for multiplayer servers especially because it allows players to compete and once one team discovers that an item is on the bingo card the other team has more information and they can go and grab it. But in single player it's effectively a test of your knowledge within a test of your knowledge in a sense because Minecraft bingo is great for finding those obscure items and finding basically a shortcut to the fastest way to obtain something. But in, in that it's now... A test of how well do I remember which items might be required? Do I go after glow ink because it could be part of either a glow item frame or just the glowing item on its own? When I acquire squid ink from regular squids, that could then break down into black dye, or it could be a book and quill, or it could be some grey dye that I have to get white to combine with. And... It was really fun trying this out. I eventually completed a card and it took me over an hour and a half but what I learned in the process of that was that inventory management was way more important than it was in a regular bingo run where I could just throw stuff out of my inventory once I knew I didn't need it anymore. At that point it could have been that several of those items were still necessary so it was a really fun way of testing my skills and a good way to spend a couple of hours if you feel like uh, blowing off some steam in Minecraft but not committing to any large-scale projects. I haven't
0: yet tried Minecraft Bingo. I know there's been some community events, you know, within ours and within um, my community as well. And I've certainly uh, tuned into you when you've been been playing and I think Slice Lime as well. Yes. And I like, I find it interesting, but I'm also, a lot of times when I run into it online, it feels like a speed run. Like there's that kind of trying to beat the clock. How quickly can you complete a bingo card? And I think for me, I'd have to set a goal like, I need to complete the bingo card before my stream is over. <laughs> yes. not, not in 33 minutes and five seconds, you know, or whatever the, the current, you know, target is. Cause I, I am embarrassingly out of touch with early game Minecraft. Like it's been so long since I've done any new world stuff. And I know that it would take me a really long time. To remember how to how to do things, you know, like I I'm very often like even asking my chat for like recipes for things that I probably should know as someone that does a Minecraft podcast, but I'm just like I haven't crafted one of these in three years. Like, how do I do it again? You know?
1: Yeah, and and like which which tools can I make with this? Like, you know, can I <laughs> can I just make a wooden hoe if I don't need a full netherite one? Yeah, there's uh, there is some stuff that comes up during Minecraft bingo runs that you just don't interact with if you play survival the way you and I do, Joel. Like, I think we are. Neither of us that interested in killing rabbits as part of the gameplay progression. At the moment, rabbit hide is not useful for any particular recipes other than crafting more leather. And we all have buckets of leather from cow farms. And so rabbit hide and occasionally rabbit meat being on the Minecraft bingo card in Noy version means that you can, you know, you interact with those items in a way that you don't. They become objectives in a way that they are not typically in a survival playthrough.
0: Nambon, have you done any Minecraft bingo run Not not
2: uh, I mean not myself but I've seen other other people play it. Uh it's definitely an interesting game mode or a mini game that I'd love to try but didn't have a chance maybe i should now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. i'm
1: surprised sliced lime doesn't have the whole office playing it at this point because yeah <laughs> uh, both he i and um another streamer from uruguay called bruno dan ui we sort of have this three-way rivalry going on a little bit i mean it's mostly me and bruno i don't think sliced really like gets into it that hard but me and bruno will send each other our personal best times and we kind of go back and forth on it quite a lot so it's uh, it's fun to do it's it's a, a fun test of your knowledge in a way that feels very different to typical survival
2: yep i used to like watching it like on on like youtube like minecraft is also a really good game that is good to watch people play Mm -hmm. Um, and i've i remember like watching play like watching a lot of players playing bingo was actually also interesting
1: What's new with you, Joel? What's new on the Citadel?
0: Well, I haven't been procrastinating, but I have indeed been easing myself back in. I've been keeping my streams pretty short, uh, kind of in the sub two hours, one hour, 45, two hour sort of range, uh, as I am still working on the West Hill rivers. Uh, I'm working behind the scenes and updating some data packs. And I uh, had a list. I, I did take some time when I got back in, which I highly recommend people doing, which is to take the existing list of stuff that you've been working on that you might have like have several pages of things that have been completed and just making a new list with just the incomplete stuff. So instead of an eight page book, I've got like a four page book now in Minecraft of things that I want to complete. And that helped me wrap my head around what was left. And it feels like a lot less than I previously had in my brain, because when you're flipping through an eight page book, you think, oh man, I still have this huge list, but most of it had check marks. So uh, I am still working on the outside of West Hill. I uh, went through and did a lot of bone meal and seagrass on the riverbeds. Um thankfully, all the hard work was done before the holidays, so all the shaping of the rivers and whatnot. Um, but now I'm going through and doing the really fun stuff, which is adding points of interest like small docks, paths, things like you know th- that you want to bring a player down to the riverbank to look at or entice them to explore and In doing that, the thing that's left on the checklist is uh, when I get down to like a small dock or a little path that goes down to maybe a fishing spot or something uh, in a river, I also want to take a little bit of extra time and decorate the bottom of the river just nearby, you know, add a couple of stones, maybe have a little bit of gravel runoff or something, that kind of stuff is still left. Uh, But on uh, the East River, I added a small spruce dock. Uh, I try to change these up, but the good news is that they're not very big builds. They're only like five by seven, maybe. And you can change a few things here and there to make sure they each look unique. But then you can also iterate and realize, okay, well, I liked what I did on this one in the north but I also like some of the features I did on this one in the west so I'm going to combine those and kind of make kind of a, a new idea and I never go into these with a plan that's one of my favorite things about Minecraft is adding these details where like you just you kind of walk by an area and go huh you know what a dock would look really good there or I'd like to make a path or I'd like to do some some texturing here and for the longest time I've had a lot of coarse dirt paths around the area and I don't texture them until the very end on purpose because sometimes you need to move it, you know, two blocks to the left. And if you spent an hour texturing, you know, well, maybe not an hour, but if you spend some time texturing things and then you have to move them, it feels really, you know, repetitive. So uh, I finally textured the path that's been there for quite a long time, really enjoying the combination of coarse dirt, rooted dirt, and packed mud as a combination. And uh, as I get closer to to the riverbank, I've actually been using a little bit of path block as well in there. And I find it really effective combining it with spruce for, of course, all of my spruce trapdoors and, and spruce planks for, for the wharfs. And I've just been having a lot of fun, you know, uh, getting that feeling of finishing up an area that, you know, has been a little bit blank for the last, you know, four or five weeks on stream. It's nice nice to check that off and be like, all right, all the foliage is done. I've done a little bit of grass and bushes and I've made the path the way that I want and it looks the way that I want from different angles. And so I'm looking forward to doing more of these because unlike Bigger projects like a bridge or a farm or a building, I can generally complete one of these points of interest within a stream, sometimes two, depending on how big they are. And so that always leaves you with a feeling of accomplishment when you're done.
1: Something about the level of detail you've put into the small dock with the little fishing boat reminds me of one of those, like you build this in an hour lego sets you know what i mean i think it's just something about you've just got a few simple objects there you've got one piece that's just part of the scene like in the boat it's just sort of flexible it could go anywhere but the way i mean it's also the fact that you've you're good at taking screenshots and you know a lot about composition but something about this looks like the little the the photograph that you get on the front of a lego box that's like little fishing village scene uh set and you just have a couple of very simple elements that feel individual. And the fact that you've got a repertoire of those and you can kind of dot those in here and there and just change them up, that's something that takes a lot of experience getting into uh, to building those.
0: Thanks, man. Yeah, I and I think that that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed learning over the course of the three plus years on this project is that you just now have this visual library of at any point in time, if I want to build a little dock or a little barn or a footbridge of any kind, you know, uh, it's kind of fun stuff. Where like maybe you play on a short-term survival server with a bunch of friends for like a month, and you you don't have to make dirt bridges. Like you can you can pull one of these stone bridges out of out of your mind. And have it look pretty decent, you know, with very minimal, you know, blocks available. And it just, it's kind of a fun artistic flex to kind of have that library of like, I know how to make one that's like nine by 13 or three by seven. Or like, I just, I have all this kind of stuff in my brain. And I think the other lesson is, is leaning into, um, the lack of plan, like obviously you plan the city, but then when it comes to these details, it, you just kind of put them where your your gut wants them to go. And I I think that can be um, really freeing after being kind of like confined within the town walls for so long and the challenges of that space out in the, you know, in the wild when you're doing landscaping. Like if you don't like the way that that, th- that hill is, just remove it, you know, <laughs> or or change the, the angle of the grassy knoll so that it works just the way that you want or add flowers where you want. And it's very freeing to kind of add those details and really make it, you know, feel like the way that you want it to look in the end.
1: Nembon, once you've built up a bunch of farms, is your goal with farms to reach a point where you can build whatever you want and you simply have all of the resources of the game available to you? Or do you find the farms are the reason for more aesthetic builds? Do you ever dip into building something that's purely aesthetic? Or do you find that your aesthetic builds are mostly centered around hiding farms or decorating farms from the more technical bare bones of them?
2: I think it's both. Uh, I, I always try to hide them and I always try to hide, like either hide them or put something aesthetic around it. So it's actually part of, part of my base or part of, uh, my area that I'm developing. Um, but all like, but 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 also like if you want to like build a castle, you need re- you need you need resources for it, and if you for example realize, like want to make one with uh, let's say dark prismarine as roofs, you need to have a garden farm to give you that prism that prismarine. So it's both ways, but typically like uh, once I build all the farms and cover them with aesthetic builds, that's typically all I have uh, all I have time for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's probably where it, where <laughs> it ends.
0: Moving on to the news for this week, we have an article on Minecraft.net about Minecraft Legends. In this article announcing the latest Lost Legends challenge map for Minecraft Legends, the team has also announced it will be the final Lost Legends. Quoting the article, since launch, we've listened to community feedback and implemented a series of changes and tweaks to make the game better. With that complete, we're now going to take a step back from development. While we won't be releasing any new content, i.e. updates, Lost Legends or Marketplace DLC for Minecraft Legends, the fun doesn't stop here. We'll continue having a blast playing the game alongside our community because those rowdy piglins are showing no signs of slowing down. Plus, we're leaving you one last freebie, the bright eyed hero skin, which you can claim now on the Minecraft Legends Marketplace.
1: So Minecraft Legends launched in April 2023 um and now here in january 2024 nine months later we see development ceasing um its story was not wholly dependent on the same dlc strategy minecraft dungeons had where it felt like the default game the base game was a self-contained story but then obviously as the dlc levels came out the orb of dominance was shattered and different shards ended up in different biomes and effectively to complete the story you ended up going through all of the DLC and finally the end DLC brought the end of the game. Um, I'm not wholly surprised to see Minecraft Legends ending development both because of I think the community reception of the game has been fairly mild and also because the story didn't have more places to go from here it felt like once you complete the campaign that was it there are a few fun maps to play but nothing on the scale of rolling out dlc every couple of months the way minecraft uh dungeons did
0: i'm also unsurprised at the development stop uh i despite even spending the time you know to research for the spawn chunks I haven't really seen much of Minecraft Legends on any screen, or I certainly haven't been thinking about it, you know, in all of the media that I watched, you know, the YouTube and the Twitch and stuff. I just, I haven't seen Minecraft Legends. I haven't been looking for it specifically, but it just hasn't popped up in my radar, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, Nembon, have you dipped into Minecraft Legends much? Did you have a, a great deal of time to step into Legends while you were working on vanilla Minecraft?
2: I did. I did try it. Uh, I played a little bit, but it was not really my style of the game, and I'll talk about it in a moment. But once, uh, but once the game was released, we pretty much knew right away that it didn't really land it as we as we really were hoping for. So it's was. It's not surprised that the that the lifespan of the game is a little shorter than we expected. Uh, on the other hand, f- like for example, Dungeons was doing really really well and was actually running for many, many years and was actually what was actually received way, way better. And it's still a very very popular game that resonates with many players. Um, with game development, apart from the core Minecraft, which is on its own a phenomenon, uh, you get uh, more or less success with various ventures like these. And uh, one can do better, one can do a little worse. So I know that the team has uh, well, that was working on the Legends is now focusing on something very different. And we also learned a whole lot about what went right and what didn't go so well. And uh, I hope that that definitely has, will have some positive impact on the future games that Mojang will be working on.
1: Yeah, it's it's by no means the team's first, like you know the, yeah. the, the first experience with this uh thinking back to minecraft earth for example um that was a really innovative idea and a really interesting way to take minecraft into a different medium but for various reasons didn't work out you know on a technology level it wasn't ready for a lot of devices a lot of devices weren't ready for the the ar compatibility battery life was an issue and ultimately it came out right before a global pandemic which shut a lot of people inside so uh, it was partly just a, a I don't know, a miscommunication of what was required for the game and a lot of disappointment as a result of that. And then obviously, circumstances well beyond our our control. Um, but I, I think the team learning from this and the team taking positive lessons in that moving forward is is a really good sign. Um, does the Vanilla Minecraft learn a lot of lessons from spin-off games like Legends and Dungeons, or does that feel like it has a really strong trajectory of its own, and those lessons are more likely to be taken into other spin-off games? I think
2: uh vanilla Minecraft is like as I said, it's a phenomenon on its own, and we want to keep it this way, although like when uh, when this, when the studio is working on other games, uh lots of that creative work that uh, went into into development of let's say in- interesting mobs or interesting mechanics, sometimes um, we just keep that and when we put that into 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 the vanilla game as well. Uh, what personally didn't like resonate with me with legends is was very fast paced because that was the style of the game that it represented. What I like, like, like about Minecraft is that you can always have this uh, idea. You can always step back. And if you are really pinched, you can hide in the one by one hole (laughs) in, in the wall and just regroup and reorganize your stuff, try to figure out how to get out of this situation. And this similar was with legends, sorry, with dungeons, you could always like, move back to the area of the dungeon that you have explored and try to reconstitute yourself if, if, if you if you figure out that that the, that the challenge ahead, ahead of you is too much and try to figure out what to do next so maybe that's why it didn't uh, resonate with me uh, maybe that's why it, re- it didn't resonate with some of our players uh, so yeah we had some lessons learned and i uh, we'll see we'll see where where it leads next yeah
1: that's a that's a really interesting point though that i haven't seen expressed elsewhere is the ability to take a step back and the sense of recovery and almost like regaining peace that you can have in vanilla minecraft where minecraft legends as you say is very focused on pressure and with it being a competitive game usually in the the player versus player kind of sense you feel like you always have to be on your toes and that can be quite stressful especially for a game franchise that is known for being chill there are obviously ways you can play which are a lot more intense and and put pressure on the player but minecraft even through stuff like the soundtrack and the, you know, the, the reputation the game has had as a sandbox game, a lot of it is about taking things at a slower pace. So yeah, that's, that's really insightful. I, I can see that being something that a lot of players will have felt, but didn't necessarily know how to express.
0: When there is a spin-off game like Minecraft Legends or Minecraft Dungeons, does that happen in isolation? from the Minecraft team? I, I know that you mentioned some of those creative assets and things. You just can keep them around because they're cool. But I mean, with the Minecraft team being so busy, are there any cross-team meetings? Like, do you get brought in to see
2: how things are going on something like Legends or Dungeons? Uh, definitely. Those are not games that are developed uh, by other studios or even if they are d- like developed with help of other studios. Uh, lots of the creative direction comes from from us and with so we actually do try to develop them in as one big family. And uh, this also boils down, not just to the actual like uh, basically creatives and assets and stuff like that in the game, but also the lore behind it. So there are certain elements of, of the lore in, in Legends that come from vanilla. And there are potentially some seeds in the legends and in dungeons that, we plant it to refer to in vanilla in some time. So it actually creates this kind of effect of, uh, oh, I've seen it somewhere in some other game. And now it pops up in in vanilla. So that's, yeah, so that's interesting, um, uh, kind of like a development style, I would say.
0: It's really cool that it's not done in, in, a, in a silo because I, I feel like that, for me thinking about what it might be work what it might be like to work on a game like minecraft in just like any other long-term project it would be a fun creative stretch to work on something new or contribute to something new even if briefly it's kind of like a nice little coffee break you know even if or when you know obviously the developers at mojang love minecraft but when you're that steeped in it it must be nice to kind of stretch your legs and kind of get some ideas that maybe don't work technically in vanilla minecraft but could maybe see Um, fruits of labor happen in another game or another avenue
2: yeah so with 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 like with legends the idea was that 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 game happened in the times way way before what you currently see in in vanilla right so when so that's when all the creatures of the overworld were living peacefully together without conflict so players would live basically among skeletons and among creepers and Treat them basically like any other animal, <laughs> or friends, and and uh, uh, and then they basically they will basically unite to fight the common uh, foe, which is the which is the which, yeah which is the nether, and then there is something in between that went like terribly wrong that now like creepers and skeletons turn against the players. We don't know what happened, but we but through legends we see how it looked like before. So that's uh, part of the, like the lore. We're just basically filling in the lore pieces and we're just leaving certain things unexplained so, so you can build your own story.
1: I really like the framework of that. It sort of reminds me of what Marvel is doing with their what if animations and you know, exploring different side scenarios and uh, little facets of the world that could fill out in parallel universes or anything like that. It's It's super fun. Uh, We're going to move on into our listener email segment. So uh, if anybody wants to email the show and potentially get your question read on a future episode, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. We have one question specifically for Nembon, which we'll get into in our main discussion. But first, we thought we'd throw out another scenario and see how a Minecraft developer reacts to this. So this one comes in from Erica with the subject of windowed chests. Hi, Pix and Joel and Nembon. I like the ideas that you discussed in episode 274 and have some thoughts that might make them more Minecrafty. A cardinal rule of Minecraft that every item changes depends on resources. Iron blocks use iron, stripping logs uses axe durability, etc. What do you think about the idea of a windowed chest? It could be crafted with a chest and a pane of glass. The resulting chest would have a small window and display the first item from the inventory in the window. That way you get some visibility without introducing a phantom item or tying up a precious item in an item frame. Erica was engulfed by her own chest monster, never to be seen again. I
0: like the idea of a windowed chest, uh, or a chest with window as it would probably be named in vanilla Minecraft. <laughs> it sounds like a straightforward way to display a hint as to the contents of the chest from the outside. I imagine players would use it in a similar way as they might use item frames now in the game with the item that's in the frame, giving you kind of like a theme or a hint or a color organization as to what might be in this row of chests or, or you know, this individual chest. Uh, I'm also really excited to have Nembon on the show to talk about this because something that I lack is the behind-the-scenes knowledge of, like, entities and how difficult this would be technically. It, all, it might sound like a great idea for the players out there, but I'm wondering what hurdles it might have, you know, in terms of actually, you know, is it a good idea? Can it be implemented in the game? So, Nembon, what do you think of of a chest with a window in it?
2: Yeah, I, I personally feel a little on the fence with that, uh, mostly due to the balancing game balancing concerns, because, like, what that would make a regular chest better about, like, so when coming up with features, you have to not just think about what that feature brings new to the game, but also what that feature potentially takes away from the existing features and how does it, uh, and can players uh, create their own uh, situations where they can basically make this, makes, make a similar functionality, as you mentioned, you can use an item frame with an item on it and then Besky and Besky put it on on the side of the chest with similar effect. Um, another consideration here would be performance. So, so Besky is something that you would always need to render that item on top of the chest behind some window. It'll probably work perfect if you only have one or two or five of them. But if if you if you build like a giant giant storage system, um, it'll it'll tank your frames significantly. Comparing if to to let's say using regular chests, like we do have blocks uh, that have similar functionality for very specific use cases. For example, the chisel bookshelves you can only use it to store books, and you can only store if way less books than you would normally be able to store like in a chest. But you you also but you can use that to actually display where the books are, so you can pick individual books as well. So it's a very thin balancing act. Like the idea sounds uh good on the surface and probably would work like in a modded setting but like in in the vanilla game you need to think like do we really need that and like one of the good example of it of something that i know that there is a common sentiment uh, in the design group of of like of like minecraft is the existence of beds is something that's basically a single block that represents a bed it means that every bed in every build that you would see typically is the same bed, um, and if we didn't have beds as blocks, players would basically try to make a bed using uh, combinations of like various walls and carpets and trapdoors and maybe, and maybe fences. So, adding some blocks that are that have very specific use case oftentimes decrease the creativity what players can do with the, with with the game. So it is actually a little bit dangerous, I think. So but that's just my my opinion. Other people can have a different opinion and that's that's the beauty of of the game.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting you compare this to the way modded Minecraft handles storage because I think in a lot of storage mods you often find displaying items takes priority. And so a lot of the time this feels like the kind of thing players have seen solved over and over again and wonder why there isn't a solution for it in vanilla minecraft and the answer so often is to create your own solution with the tools that you're given and going back to your example of beds effectively being a one block solution for that where more creativity could come out of not having bed blocks in the game you find players you know rejecting item frames in favor of something that i do with my storage system placing blocks in the floor to label them instead or now you have way more options with signs and glow ink and the different colored dyes and you can dye text on different sides of signs even so that you have more options there i think one of the great strengths of recently developed features in minecraft is that they are so considered as to have multiple uses and not be so specific in their either functionality or in their aesthetic um there is obviously some stuff that's happening that you can't really use any other way like wolf armor for example we'll get onto that more in a second but uh wolf armor at the moment is just a a one-use item similar to to horse armor in that way but i've seen people in the past use horse armor as a model which you if you invert it it looks a little bit more like a futuristic like laser gun or something and then players in pvp arena games will use those as though they are weapons and you know they'll code some stuff in to use vanilla textures and vanilla items but give them different functionalities so there is example of creativity that can be taken out of even something that feels really pigeonholed into a, a single use
0: So for the main discussion this week, obviously both Johnny and I are excited to talk to Nembon uh, about uh, his history with Minecraft. And for those of you that are are not up to speed, from a Minecraft-focused YouTube channel that launched in the summer of 2015 to now joining Mojang in 2021, Nembon has gained a reputation as a highly respected technical player, creator of Carpet Mod, and now a developer on Vanilla Minecraft. We'd like to discuss what brought you into Minecraft, your exploration of the technical side of the game and your new role as you've joined Mojang, as well as you know, features that you've worked on within the game. But to start at the top, we have that other email that came in from Dylan A. What's in a Nembon? Hello, gentlemen. I was so excited to hear that the one and only Nembon would be joining the Spun Chunks for an episode. I'm sure Pix and Joel will cover lots of great Minecraft questions. Nembon, what does your username mean? What is its backstory? How did you choose it? Thanks, Dylan A. So Nembon, uh, I'm just as curious uh, as to how you chose your, your online handle.
2: Oh, the story is like less, uh, less exciting than, than it seems like basically when I was way, way younger, I needed to uh, use some IGN, some nickname in, in a game. And, and this was basically a character from, from, a, from a novel that I was reading at that time. For for my school, and I was like, this is like a cool character. let me use that uh, name, and and that's what stick. And then, then then from game to game, I was like, what should I use now for an IGN? I would just use oh, I just use Gnamon, and 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 basically there is no particular reason why I chose this one. It's prob like probably if I would read a different book at that time or 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 was or was surrounded by different characters or maybe when I'm, I'm watching some other movies at that time i would choose a different um, name but i just i just stuck to it i just kept using it uh, from game to game until i uh, stumbled upon minecraft and i chose that as my player ign and that's yeah so that's essentially the backstory nothing like super crazy but something that i've been using since i was very little
1: it's amazing how how those things stick with you right like the references from like you know your childhood or your younger days that can can really stick with you and in my case having to effectively invent my username from scratch when i started my youtube channel it was sort of based on previous projects i'd done before and a desire for pixel art to show up in the games a bit more but yeah it must be in a way kind of affirming to have this identity that you've carried through your entire creative life and see you know your early interest in games and everything all taken from one place and then taking you all the way to working on one of your favorite games must be kind of satisfying
2: yeah it's actually interesting like like possibly if you try to search for uh my nickname on the internet you'll be able to like find some of my previous ventures in other areas that's not minecraft but uh it's not it's never like like connected to who am i as a person which i think is really interesting like what I do personal, like in my, like in my in my in my real life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really go in line with what Knemon is doing on the internet, and and I feel it like great. I mean, in the sense that now, now I know that, like now we know that I live in Sweden because I work for Mojang, but where I lived before it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. It's not that important. Or or what did I do before? It doesn't matter. Yeah.
0: I think there's an interesting lesson in there, too, in that, you know, when you are choosing a username to do something on the Internet, whether it's streaming on Twitch or making YouTube videos or just logging in with friends to play, you know, an online game, uh, when you choose a handle, you never know if that's something that's going to end up being with you for a very long time. And so, you know, choosing a name of a favorite character from a book or a song or maybe you're, you're a spin on your a uh, favorite artist or something uh, is is something that's personal to you doesn't necessarily lead back to you in terms of your personal life, but then also it, because it's a it's a name that was from another medium, it's it's not you know followed by eleven numbers and and hashtags, and it's not you know a, a meme or it's not meant to be jokey. And I think that there's some young people out there when they choose usernames, they just kind of throw caution to the wind and, and do whatever they they think is funny at the time and um i am uniquely outside of that i've used my real name across all platforms that, I, that i'm on but that was a choice that i made and, and i'm fine with it um and as a young artist it was beneficial to me for people to say like oh yeah i saw him do artwork on this live stream uh, how do i find him well he was using his real name so you, you google me and i'm pretty easy to, to track down um but I, I think that it's an interesting way that you know um like my xbox handle or my um i think my steam name is still a very old animation company that i started in my early 20s and like i can't change it because the steam doesn't let you change it and like had i re- thought about it at the time i would have much preferred to have my steam name as just my name uh i don't re- i don't know why i chose that that name um but it's it's one of those things that uh, you know some things you just can't change so it's an interesting lesson you know when you think about these names that you never know like you just a uh, one minute you um you're playing minecraft and making cool technical videos on on youtube and fast forward to seven years later and you're working at mojang and that name you know gets listed <laughs> you know when you're interviewed for developer you know videos it gets posted uh, underneath your face you know when you're when you're being interviewed i think i think that's really cool that it's something that um you've kind of made your own you know and brought forward
1: I'm I'm always worried about the future of Ninja's career when he inevitably gets called up to be a martial artist and uh, <laughs> is is gonna struggle with some of that maybe.
2: Yeah, I, I like always like remember like I think Iskal '85. He, he used a different nickname before uh, when he was creating his uh, YouTube account, and his YouTube and his YouTube account link still is based on his previous nickname that he was using. It has nothing to do with his name, it has nothing to do with his, with Iskal, but uh, I, I I remember him, like, answering questions, what does what this name, uh, I think it's Al-Victor, has to do with uh, Iskal, and he said just nothing, it's just this previous name that he was using, that he decided to, like, rebrand, and, and because of how YouTube links work, you can't change it, <laughs> so...
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, the Hermitcraft recap channel uh, started off as a separate channel that we ran for the Foolcraft recap when Iskall was doing that series with a bunch of friends. And so... Uh, at the time, Hermitcraft Recap was made on a separate channel that was owned by the Hermits, and eventually we kind of had a discussion about our own ownership of the channel and split off into the channel that we already had full control over, and uh, so the the URL where the majority of Hermitcraft Recap has found its success still remains Fullcraft Recap. <laughs> so we have to be quite careful when we give out the URL to point people directly through a link that doesn't necessarily have craft Recap in it so they don't get the wrong idea.
0: So, Nimbon, going back to the start of your, your Minecraft uh, career, do you remember your first impressions of Minecraft? Do you remember your first session in the game?
2: I do. I do. It was actually, I, I very rarely get into the games, like in the sense that I spend a very long time on them. But when I do, I, 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 I basically know right away that there is something special about the game. So when I was very little, uh, I did play a lot of, like Heroes of Might and Magic uh, games. Uh, then I had a little like, break. And then uh, when a friend of mine told me about Minecraft, I was like, I, I, I can give it a shot. Uh, I can give it a try. And I, I opened the game. I didn't know really what to do. Like, as, you, as we just said, the game doesn't really explain how this works. Like, uh, I found some tutorials on the internet how to change game modes. I didn't know what game modes are. I was surprised that like hostile mobs don't are not interested in me anymore. And blocks are not popping out when I break them, and, and I I was I was just switched to creative. I didn't know that I did that. Uh, I didn't know what creative is. I didn't know what survival is. But then I started to like uh, like create simple like roller coasters, and I was like this. This is this 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 game is really interesting where you can build from blocks, uh, entire setups like Lego for. Like like Legos for computer, and but then I like when I realized okay not okay then I watched a few uh, playthroughs on on YouTube which were quite popular at the time. Um, How to survive and thrive your first night. I basically realized okay not that's how you play it. And then I opened the game, started the seed, and uh, one of my first impressions of the game were were basically terrifying squids. I thought from day one that squids are hostile mobs because when they open their their tentacles you have a big mouth there and I thought those are jaws that will bite you and I remember maybe I maybe I's like suffocated underwater or basically drowned maybe that's why I took damage but I thought those were actually connected to those squids that trying to eat me and I was and I was <laughs> And I was at the beginning trying to really avoid rivers because I thought this is where the uh, this <laughs> is where the biggest terrified, the best terrifying uh, uh, creatures are, and the only safe place is on the land. And then at, at the end, like when I realized that squids are like the most peaceful and the most um, passive mobs, really that just go about their life and don't do anything to the player, I was like, okay, <laughs> this was a bad judgment, but. That's what, like, the artwork of, like, this open jaw, uh, it was, like, uh, basically, basically created that false false impression on me. And I still have that uh, in my mind. I still laugh, laugh about it. I think this was interesting. And that kept, that kept me in, so I guess this worked out.
1: Uh, you uh, you laugh about it now as you farm them for millions of ink sacks to go along with your guardian farm, right? That's the, uh, the we, exactly, we've yeah. already heard the end of this story at the top of the episode is that you're yeah. you're now uh, you know punishing squids for scaring you so badly the first time.
2: Yeah, but if, if you if you take a look at, at its at its texture and 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 in its animation, I wouldn't blame a younger me to basically judge incorrectly that this might
1: be a scary mob. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm right there with you. It is terrifying the first couple of times you encounter them. But then I, I always realize that they're swimming away from me. And if they swim towards you, then they have to swim kind of head first. So maybe, yeah, you get a, a slightly different impression. But I can imagine not wanting to spend time around them for too long.
0: I could see that connection as well, because the only other thing in the game that has multiple legs like that is a spider. And they're kind of like spiders of the sea. I, I can see that you know, anybody that has like arachnophobia, I can see them maybe not being afraid of octopus and squid, but also being like a little irked out. Like that's more legs than I'm comfortable with. You know, I I can see that being something that people might come to a conclusion on, right?
1: Anybody who's seen those old like creature feature B movies, like Deep Rising or whatever, where there's like the, the villain is a sea monster that drowns a cruise ship or whatever <laughs> you can, right. you can, you can make those connections.
0: So once you got over your fear of squids, what brought you into the more technical side of the game?
2: I think it was because of uh, basically once I started playing the game, I also realized that the game is also interesting to be played as a backseat game, uh, in a sense, in the newer setting where basically you would basically watch people on the, on the on the YouTube play it. It's basically like the modern approach to backseat to to basically backseat gaming and i've uh, seen like players like like Sizumavoid, uh, and Etho play it and they were making certain contraptions and decisions and i also played the game myself and i was like but you can do it better you can do it a little bit like um i figured out that it's not true uh that you that you can actually get that done in a better way and i was like the only way really to con- to convey it was to figure out how to record the game and also put it on on youtube and basically maybe try to message those those people or just basically try to send the message that maybe this is the better way to do it i think one of my first videos was about uh, how to set up mm, better like a grid of tnts to basically blow up an area uh that was like a response to me watching somebody else doing it according to my feeling, my gut feeling, not in the best way, uh, and then another was uh, a sand conversion farm. Basically, back in the days, you could convert one color of sand into another color of sand, like yellow to, to red, using some very weird and uh, bug. And I think Panda, who is now on the Mojang team as well. Uh, he was basically he basically had a, had, a, had a stream and he experimented with with that and I came up with my mind how to do it in a simpler way and I made a little little video about it and I think that's how it started basically trying to trying to share with other people uh, how to solve things in the game like basically treating this as like a puzzle uh, game where each technical challenge is, is, is it, it, it's its own puzzle.
0: I really like that that approach came from an education standpoint, like not a you're doing it wrong. It's a, oh, that's interesting. I think I might be able to hone that. I might be able to craft that into either a more concise way or explain how it's how it's working and provide an alternative, perhaps better for your situation way to do it. I, I like that approach so much better than what you often see which is like in the youtube comments of like you're doing it wrong and and i think that that's that's a really cool way and it's really interesting that your pull into technical minecraft was creating content so not just you know for your own satisfactory of crunching numbers and and going through that the the inside of the game but like sharing it was was a drive to get you more into the technical side
2: yeah and then uh, going into like uh then further mods and more technical aspects was basically, I realized that the game really is an open source in the sense that you can have, when you're modding it, you also have access to the source code. So if you are trying to research some very, very weird behaviors and like basically cross behaviors between different blocks and entities, uh, in order to get like the gold truth, you can basically go into the game and try to read it. And then not many people are able to do that. Uh, But then I think my role and my kind of like the vision of what I'm supposed to do is when I learn something, I should just very quickly uh, share it with other people so they can have that knowledge, even if they are not able to like read the source code of the game. Uh, So that's basically what I really wanted to do back in the days. And that also brought me into, into modding, because once you are into into a source code reading and, and basically game, ana- game analysis from this angle, you basically quickly realize that with a few tweaks, you can actually make the game better or the game better according to your particular needs. And then you basically start releasing that as a mod. <laughs> so that's how it started.
1: Was that something you had experience in before, game development, or was Minecraft really the first game that encouraged you to step into learning what the code meant and, and understanding it on that level?
2: From the game development perspective, yes, this was the first, my first, uh, my first for basic foray into game development. Uh, obviously, I do have a programming background, and that was not the problem. Uh, but that actually taught me quite a bit of like how to design a game and how Minecraft is designed.
1: And so that uh, really feels like an origin story for what you're known for outside of uh, your. Uh, youtube channel and working for mojang now which is carpet mod and i think it's really interesting that you've outlined this desire for the gold truth as you put it like the utmost understanding of how everything functions and how efficient things are It's something that I have often wondered about my real life. Like, if I could know exactly how many pens I have used over the course of my life, if there was something like the Minecraft statistics page for real life, that that would be absolutely fascinating. But you've gone beyond what Minecraft's statistics can really give you, or at least can give you in terms of... They'll show you what the player does, but not what the farms do. And so what was the path to deciding hey what I really need is something that can track the output of farms like uh, at what point did that start to become the roadblock that you realized you needed to go through
2: yeah in many cases that was actually for the for the presentation for uh, for the youtube content because like uh, I can I can try to understand a particular mechanic myself and I, and I can read into it and I can ex- and I can explain to my like to myself clearly how things work and I can use it um as I learn it but then when I need to present it to other people it's better to have some visuals on the screen and to show exactly what's going on and then for that you realize that maybe I need some extra tools like to draw things on this on, on in the game or maybe I need some extra uh, tools to actually measure things to show yes like uh, be in between these two approaches this one is better not because I know it should be better, but here are the numbers, here is the proof that this approach, uh, f- like for example, causes the game to, to like trigger certain, certain behavior more often. And I think that's where building of the mods that support that discovery uh, started.
0: So with Carpet Mod being something that you, you, know, you created to help communicate the, the video and, and content that you were making, What's the backstory of going from that point to becoming a part of the Mojang team and working on Minecraft?
2: I mean, the sense that of uh, being part of the, of the CyCraft crew, we were invited in 2019, I believe, to Nashville in, ten- in Tennessee for Minecon. And that's where also we met, uh, we met the developers. The developers met us. We knew each other from like, the Discords and from YouTube from various, like, uh, content places, but this was, like, the first place where we could actually uh, see each other in face and basically be able to chat about the game. So that's basically where where that connection started. And because I was basically looking into, like, the, the game mechanics, how it all works out together, uh, basically that's what uh, game developers are into, and that's what interests them as well. So we kind of... Uh, share the common knowledge share the common language between us so that's actually something that uh, i think we resonated quite well
1: it's great when you uh you you make those connections early and you kind of think well this could just be like a solid friendship or it could lead to like more opportunities and then the the fact that you then get to go and work on the game is is fantastic i mean let's let's chat about some of your work and in particular the latest additions that we've seen to the game in snapshots and and betas which are the armadillo and wolf armor like i was pretty surprised to learn that you worked on these features directly and i think it'll probably surprise a few of our listeners as well because what you are known for is the technical side of things the under the hood statistics and more kind of block based stuff and so Uh, I wanted to really kind of pick your brain about the armadillo and wolf armor starting with were you and your colleagues on the development team were you surprised that the armadillo won the 2023 mob vote Uh, I've read Zylefian's blog which is like a personal side thing and not any kind of official source but he said that a lot of people on the team were expecting either the penguin wins because it's cute or the crab wins because the functionality might be useful to people so were you surprised the armadillo won?
2: At uh, first, maybe yes, but uh, very quickly, like if you would observe the polls, it was quite apparent that wolf armor is something that really resonates with a lot of players of different players' play styles. That uh, really like the having a pet as pet aspect in the game, but this was not really that fulfilled. And uh, in uh, the and in this year's mob vote, those three options that players had—they were—they they were basically an animal plus some uh, basically trade attached to it. And uh, among those those three options, we know that for the armadillo, uh, the the trade part was like the biggest aspect, not the not the armadillo itself. So it was not a surprise to me that armadillo won that's essentially it uh we knew that the that pairing it with the wolf armor would be would make a very strong candidate for a lot of players
1: yeah yeah and it's something that i think we are getting more emails and you know you know questions here on the show related to the wolf armor side than the armadillo side so i think those those instincts are proving very well founded um, so once the armadillo wins the 2023 mob vote uh, one thing I'm really curious about from your side of things is how does the development team take ownership of new features like a lot of these are going to have been generated beforehand the community is given three options but then do you call dibs on working on the armadillo is it assigned to you by your department lead do you just kind of have a big discussion about it and how collaborative is that process once you start working on those features directly
2: so to some extent yes you have uh, you can say that i'm interested in working in this feature and i may be not interested in working in that feature and if there's enough people that uh, agree together that what they really like prefer to work on then there is no problems in like Taking, like one person ta- taking one aspect, another taking sa- basically something else. Uh, one thing that is important to note is that there are two distinct uh, uh, development groups in, in Moyan gameplay. Uh, one is working on the current update, the big update for the year, and the other group is like working on like ex- external things that, that are around it. And often those those like groups inter intertwine. So I worked on the Summer '23, which was the, which was the Tales and Trails update, and uh, naturally the team that worked on pre life to work on the features that we would announce and also share immediately after life were basically focusing on that while we finished uh, the development on the on the Tales and Trails. So now uh, the team that is focusing on 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 the on the summer twenty four update, um, is they are focusing on that while uh, things like a mob vote is uh, put on the on on that now smaller team, which is responsible for all the additional content. For example, the changes to the to the like the changes and improvements to the decorated pot uh, that you can use it as a container, or the or the bat rework, the basically battery model. Was something that we've done the, in the in that smaller development group, and uh, that's also something that we got tasked with, which is the arm- Armadillo and Wolf Armor or the Mob Vote winner, and basically that's that's what I'm working on right now, and also that's why this is not part of the Summer '24 update. Uh, so it's basically it with something that uh, came to surprise to some people because on Java on Bedrock it was uh, it was released under under its own development toggle and uh, because uh, because on bedrock you have you have releases almost every month uh, while on java our next next m- next minor release will actually contain the armadillo and wolf farmer which is later in the year but uh, it's like now straight in main so we don't have to enable any toggles to actually have armadillos which is an indication that this is not part of the big update that will actually come earlier
1: Yeah and it it makes sense for you working on those as two separate departments but yeah from a player perspective I was certainly surprised that it wasn't behind the experimental toggle at first I thought there'd been some kind of mistake but then realizing that the team is now committed to developing little tweaks to additional features and minor features like that for these minor decimal point updates it doesn't need to be something that comes up in 1.21 and the armadillo and wolf armor only really affect things that are already in the game like wolves so i think it's a very smart approach to development especially if it means you can put this thing in the player's hands a little bit earlier and work with the community on different iterations of it which is what you're doing right now um so uh, considering that you're known for focusing on more technical aspects of the game is it a challenge for you to code something like the armadillo and and wolf armor i mean to the player obviously these feel very different to blocks and dispenser interactions and things like that but do they feel different to code to you or is this absolutely in your wheelhouse
2: uh this is something that you learn it's not that very difficult and uh, different mob behaviors and mobs themselves uh didn't interest me that much before like i as i said like as you said like I was more into like block and blocks and how blocks react to each other. Um but mobs works as as fine. I mean the, I don't see any big challenges mm-hmm. basically for that. It's it is pretty it is it is it is it is pretty interesting work to work on the mobs as well.
1: And so the challenge comes from getting it to a place where the community is happy with it, right? Which I expect is a, a more abstract challenge than something you can handle just by fine-tuning the code. So is there anything yeah. left to try with the Armadillo and farmer? Are you happy with where it is right now, or is the team still kind of workshopping some stuff? Is there anything about that that you can tell us?
2: Yes, so uh, something that we've uh, we've done differently this year... Uh, comparing to for example the previous uh, years with previous uh, mobs that we released is uh, we basically wanted to share our work way earlier in the development pro like process than than before if you for example look at the at the sniffer sniffer was uh, worked on for like about half a year and was basically released in the snapshots when it was pretty much done and if if you learn a little bit about the development process for games and like the certification that we have to go through uh, for Xbox. And also like there are dependencies that we have to follow through with things like merchandise um, departments and like, like all those like little like plushies of the mobs, they need to be made on time and they need to be designed and made on time for the, uh, for when the mobs are out
1: they need to know which side of the face the armadillo's eyes are going on so they can turn it into a plushie, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh,
2: so all of, that, all of that needs to be finalized pretty early in the development process. And uh, with, things like, uh, sn- th- with things like Sniffer, it was kind of developed um, behind the curtains and then it was basically, basically, basically revealed to the public and any feedback that was taken, really we couldn't apply it right away without any like extra hurdles. So with Armadillo and Wolf Armor, our, basically one of our takes was that first of all, uh, show the community that we can actually develop mobs and mob related features quickly. So the voting was done in October and two months after there was the first snapshot where uh, Armadillo and Wolf Armor was, was like released. It was also released in a kind of like a very bare form. So armadillo is essentially an animal that spawns in in savannas. Exactly that was shown, and and basically you can obtain scutes from them, and you can craft those scutes into wool armor, and you can put that wool armor, similarly to horse armor, on on your pet, and that gives a little bit more armor to it. And that's it. Uh, and that's it for now. This we actually intending to work on it more. Uh, here, what the community's opinions are, like, where, the devil, where that development they, f- they feel is lacking, where the, de- where the development should go, um, and because of that, we are able to actually adapt, and because we do it early on, we can change the design as much as we want right now, and basically and basically direct the feature where we want it to go, like, where people, actually, that our players want it to go. For example, now we know that uh, in terms of like, how much you care for armadillo versus wolf armor, we know that the split is roughly 20-30% towards armadillo and 70% towards wolf armor, which means that we, uh, we treat the, both features as equally important, but we know that we should spend more time on making the wolf armor as best as we can make comparing to making Armadillo as interesting mob as Armadillo can be, yeah?
1: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's putting the community's chief interests at the forefront of developing these features, right? And yeah, I I, I absolutely agree, it seems like the community was much more excited about wolf armor than they were about the mob, but there are still going to be those people who love armadillos you know they're part of you know maybe they're from somewhere like Texas where armadillos are relatively common and they'll consider them part of the landscape around them so it feels like something they can identify with more in-game if mobs from you know animals from their local ecosystem are present in Minecraft but then the majority of people are going to be thinking well one how can my dog die less and secondly how can i make my dog look pretty um so is there exactly is there going to be more work with the art team there on like the aesthetics of wolf armor can you say much about that or is that still something you're uh you're kind of working on, on behind the scenes
2: we are still working on, on how to do it or what what would be the best way to do it but we know that both the aesthetics of the wolf armor and uh, as well as the functionality of it, like how it should work, are two very important things that lots of players really care about. If you think about like, uh, if you think about like going with, you, with your pet for an adventure, a player has this advantage that when a player dies, a player responds. So you can pretty much get your stuff together, go back where you ended up, and, and then basically try to reclaim your things and continue from where you, where you left off. With, uh, with 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 uh, wolves and dogs that are meant to be as well as combat basically combat uh, like combat creatures, you you currently don't have that chance. Like if a wolf dies, it dies. So we have to figure out how to make it a comparable experience in the sense that uh, not only will your wolf will be will be stronger, but also if you are are in a pickle, players would probably likely die themselves rather than let their wolf die and you want to make sure that maybe uh, if you make some mistakes early, early on it's not it's not as punishing for your pet.
1: yeah um, and that, that's something i kind of put together in my latest episode about the snapshots and, and where i featured wolf armor and i i had a fun time using a wolf in combat for the first time in a long time and was able to kind of observe its behavior and figure out what felt still missing about it and you touched on the the main thing which is that yeah wolves don't respawn and the player does and hostile mobs are respawning infinitely around you so sooner or later the wolf is going to be put under enough pressure that it becomes a risk but also players are still so attached to dogs in the real world that they aren't willing to see wolves as a disposable resource in the way they might seem other things and so that's uh not necessarily a, a mindset that modern Minecraft wants to promote. Like, you're not trying to make wolves more disposable. You're going the other way. You're trying to make them feel more like stalwart companions that can stay with you and not suffer the same risks while still keeping them balanced. And it must be a really difficult line to walk.
2: Yeah, and and, and that's where I think community feedback early on is very, is very important to us. So we observe, like, what player suggestions are and what players think that uh, the armor should help them with uh, w- which will be able to like focus us in areas where, uh, where, uh, where players really need the wolf armor to go, as well as armadillos themselves. Like uh, It's a cute animal, yes, it, and it checks, checks that box right now, but maybe what are the other interesting mechanics that we can introduce to make them more, more unique? And we have a few ideas. I think we'll, we will be starting uh, the the uh, the like the Snapshot series uh, very soon. I think this Wednesday is the first one that we are planning for. We'll see how this goes. But uh, there might be some surprises mm-hmm. for Armadillo lovers.
1: I'm very excited to hear that. That's really cool. And like you said, given that these are still early in their development, it's sort of unusual for players to have this much still to anticipate with a feature like that. So that's really cool. Um, So many of our listeners probably expected you to be here talking about the crafter and the recent addition of the tick command um, because they're fairly similar to pre-existing carpet mod features. So I imagine hopefully those listeners are still with us. They're wondering why we've been talking about the armadillo for so long. Um, but I was wondering if you could give us some insight into what role you played in bringing these features to Vanilla Minecraft. Were they something that you pitched to the team? Did the team approach you when you joined for a more vanilla implementation, or were these features mostly worked on by other developers?
2: So it depends which feature you ask uh, for, because uh, for the like for the for the for the crafter when I joined, it became apparent that the the entire team was was having discussions about the, how the automatic crafting should be done in the game uh, so this was not a new concept and and uh however i I'm, I'm hoping that uh, some of my work that i've done through mod development had some influence definitely on those on those prototypes that was best, that were basically floating around the office and uh, also like the team that was working on the actual implementation for the uh for like for the summer 24, we chatted quite a bit about like the details or what do you think like this should behave like, uh, like to have like a good block that is very flexible towards like the technical players and allow a lot more uh, creativity through automation, but also is easy to use for players that, that uh, don't have that, those technical skills, but want to use on the basic Aspects of it. That's why we came up with the idea of like toggleable slots. So if you want like to only do re- basic recipes that follow certain shape, as long as you find a way to to deliver ingredients in the correct order, you should be able to autom- to automatically craft it. But for players that want to use them in a very flexible way and very customizable from the automation part of things. They can still use the entirety of the crafting grid and figure out the way how to add and remove items from it using some filters. So it's it's a mix. It's a block that I think is very well designed in terms of like uh, uh, the power that it gives to very advanced players, but also is approachable for players that just started with redstone and figure uh, stuff out as they go.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest surprise for people is that, first of all, discussion about automatic crafting were happening prior to when you joined in 2021. And also that this wasn't just something that you said, I come in with this idea, I'm bringing you the crafter and that like, you know, the the crafter is not solely down to something that you'd already developed in in carpet mod. Um, so let's talk about the the tick command then. Um, when Vanilla Tick was implemented, you posted an explanation on your GitHub page, we'll have that linked in our show notes if anybody wants to read that, of how it differed from Carpet's Tick. And there were obviously some compromises there. You've outlined them very clearly. Um, Can you give us an insight into why Vanilla Minecraft can't adopt all the features of a pretty successful mod like Carpet? And as, as the mod author, do you feel like the Vanilla implementation is nerfed, or is it streamlined? And how do you feel about the uh, the differences between the vanilla implementation and your original modded implementation.
2: Yeah, so uh, tick command is something that's uh, is uh, in stark opposition to the crafter. This was entirely done by me, uh, by basically uh, internal agreement that yes, we actually want to have that uh, functionality and that and that and that and that, and that uh, power, not just for ourselves for internal development of the game, but also for other people to use without the need of mods. and um, That's something that I worked myself. And that actually also shows, as you mentioned, that's key, a very good example of the difference between the development of a mod as a mod and the development of something that actually goes into the game and is shipped to all the players. Um, so the implementation that we have in currently in Vanilla, I would say it's more streamlined version. It's a little bit cut down from what carpet mod had, because carpet mod had some features that are I would use the word junky, but functional, <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> and, and with and and with implementation that goes up with the rest of the command system and 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 commands uh, in 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 the game, you want something that's absolutely solid, rock solid. Also, when when you are developing a mod, you typically first of all care only about your your own group of players that are. That are that are basically using it. You only care about one particular use case that you are decided on. That this is exactly what I want and need from it. Uh, and also, you don't care about maintainability and fut- and like future proofing of of your code that you are working on. While you are working on on the game itself, and you basically realize that all of those aspects are as important as the feature itself. And then it uh, first of all it took way longer. To get that implemented in vanilla, even if I had the reference code ready and fun- like fully functional and tested over years, and then I had to also cut. But cut out some bits that were little like weird, like why this works this way, because like there were specific use cases where I needed that particular use of that command, but it still feels weird. So it was removed from uh from the final final like final command. One thing that, for example, I didn't really care for when I was developing this mod was how the game looks visually when it's frozen. For example, uh, so in the in the version that was basically, uh, basically in the version that was in the carpet mod, the game was would, would like pretty much pause mechanic wise, but everything was kept being animated and would could like uh, ragdoll and and jitter, and I really didn't care because I needed that. To control the game from the mechanics pers- like perspective but if you think about it like players now can use it to like create like cinematics in the game um and and for that it just needs to look perfect yeah so then you basically realize that you have a lot more work cut out for you uh, when you want to actually develop it for all the all the people that can potentially use it
1: Yeah I think that's one of the things that as the audience for the game we're so focused on our own perspective that we fail to consider all of the other potential perspectives and even in going back to wolf armor the amount of people like Joel and I are not typically people who use wolves for combat situations in the game and we've talked about that on the show in the past but recognizing that there must be so many players out there who would like to play that way I think it's an important part of viewing any new features in a balanced way and so The same must be true for technical features like this, in that the technical community must be begging for a complete implementation and it doesn't matter to us what it looks like because, you know, it just does the job and it gets us the gold truth about our farms, it gets us the results that we want to see. But as a developer of the game and as somebody who's trying to still contribute to a polished final product, you have to consider things like aesthetics purely because the broader player base is going to demand those.
0: And I think it's really cool that the the use of a slash tick command, with on the surface, you know, to my mind, evokes technical play. Uh, that that the team was considering players that might want to use it to make cinematics, to make uh, essentially little cartoons within Minecraft for video expression, like whatever it is that you want to do. Because that's not the first thing that I would think of, you know. And I, I think that's just such a great way to consider all of the type of play. Uh, that that feature could then um, be, used, be used for, or just, it's almost like you have to imagine emergent gameplay or the possibility thereof before you add that to the game, you know?
2: Yeah, and one thing that is, is also a good example is with, like, wolf armor, like we can make it this, as basically, this, basically the strongest as we can make it, so then players who hold dearly their pets, uh, they, they basically won't see them die, but then on the other hand, you have the community of like PVPers where we don't want to like throw that out of balance where the success in a PVP si- si- situation would only basically result of how fast you can f- feed and heal your dog. Uh, because now it becomes this like unbeatable tank that the in order to succeed in any PVP situation, you just need to create that uh, basically basically create that battle wolf, and, and, and because we try to uh, make it as, as undiable as, as possible, makes Vesky throws off balance other aspects of different playstyles. So, is also a very interesting perspective here.
1: We, we cannot wait to hear what kind of balance you strike and we're looking forward to the future developments in the Armadillo and Wolf armor, and presumably some more features that we obviously know nothing about yet, but looking forward to what 2024 has to offer. For now though, that's where we're going to have to wrap up our discussion here on the Spawn Chunks. Nembon, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything you want to quickly draw people's attention to before we sign off and where can people go if they want to see more of you and what you do?
2: Yeah, so uh, right now, I, I, I honestly have nothing to plug uh if you want to see more of the minecraft development go, definitely go to the minecraft youtube channel we have we po- we are posting shorts and longer videos when we actually show tidbits of how we are working and what we are working on uh, we don't have any actors there to play our roles it's all it's all developers it's all
1: us so if you want to get uh, us know better that's that, that's the place to go Well, thank you so much once again for joining us. Uh, You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today over at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash chunks to join our community where pledging at any level will get you invites to our patrons only discord chat. You can listen to the regular shows live when we record those in discord every week. We also have our monthly Minecraft audio hangout coming out fairly soon. And as a reminder uh, the Pre-show and post-show are also for patrons where we'll have a little bit of extra chat with Nembon before and after this episode. So if you're interested in joining once again, patreon.com slash chunks is the place to do that. We currently have 322 patrons, which is steady on from last week. There is always room for more. Special thanks go out to our content engineers, Hunter555, Jumbo sale MindTrip Media, Party Voyager, and Yitz. Thank you all for your support on this episode.
0: Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on social media. A personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and that they can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and even YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page.
1: That's where you can listen to The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where the Minecraft Survival Guide is currently in its third season. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which is currently on a season break, but when you want to see us again, you can find us through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online?
0: Everything that I'm doing online can be linked through joelduggan.com, including the Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. We had to reschedule the chat about Rebel Moon Part 1, so that's going to be coming up on the 17th, and I've also started watching the Echo miniseries on Disney+, Plus. that's a Marvel series, so that's been fun as well. I'm Joel Duggan on social media, very easy to find, and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Thursday through Sunday, mostly building on the Citadel server
1: in West Hill, but I play other games too. Thanks for visiting the spawn chunks, the world outside is infinite, even to its creators.